Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Cotton Bureau and Miro. Woo! Yeah, that's right. I'm Simone Rochefort. I'm a video producer at Polygon.com. And I'm here today with Brianna Wu, developer of video games, and Christina Warren, senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. How are we? <laughs> well, it's been a week. It's Wednesday as we record this, but it's it's been a week. We'll just say that. I feel like it's the human condition to ask how you are at exactly the moment. It's like a, re- a reflex, and it happens at exactly the moment where you're like, I don't want to answer this question. If somebody <laughs> asked me this question, I would kill them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how are you, Simone? That's the real question. How are right. you? I'm so stressed, but I'm happy to be here with you guys. See, we're going to de-stress you, Simone. Just, just, you? just chill. <laughs> This is an hour of friends hanging out. You can just let all your problems like go away. Let's okay. let's just we'll just have a little chat about what's going on with the Apple and it's just going to be fine. It's going to be great. You are right, Bree. It is an almost all Apple show and we're going to start off with an update on last week's episode. So, last week we did talk to David Heinemeyer Hansen of Basecamp. We talked about Hey, their new email app that had come out to many services and then tried to submit a bug update to iOS and were told, hey, wait a minute, why are you on the App Store? We didn't let you in. (laughs) This was a terrible mistake to let an email app in that requires you to go to another website to sign up, um, even though we have plenty of other apps that do that. So anyway, um, he's been definitely doing the rounds and... Apple has made some changes in response to the fracas that uh, Hayes' denial from the App Store caused. Uh, One is that they are allowing developers to submit bug updates even if an app is in, like, contention in the App Store, even if its place in the App Store is being questioned. The developer would still be able to submit bug updates. And the other is listed in this huge block of text. Ah, yes, that that developers will be able to appeal specific violations of the App Store guidelines rather than just be like, hey, what? why aren't you letting us in? We'd like to be in, please. They can specifically address guidelines that Apple says they are in violation of. So I'm, I'm personally definitely a fan of the, the bug fix update because I feel like that could be a security issue. Like while an yeah. app is in in, I, I keep wanting to say on trial, which is not correct. But <laughs> while those discussions are happening, yes, a developer should be able to submit bug fixes to make sure the app stays secure. But I still think like this is this has not been a good look for Apple, and it remains no. not a good oh, look. No, good no, I, I not not even remotely. Like I'm gonna say this is like the most. This isn't the least that they could do, but this is. This is really close to the least. <laughs> actually, it might be. It might actually be the least that they could do. To be totally honest, this might actually be it. To, be, to, to basically say, actually, no, I think it is. I think this is the least a company could do, which is to say, yes, we will allow you to appeal our rules and we will allow you to issue bug fixes while rules are in dispute. Yeah, that's that's basically the least that they can do because at the company's whim, they do still have the option once they go through the appeal and anything else to say, mm, no, we won't accept future releases of your application or we will remove your application. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This was it was a bad look for Apple this week. I couldn't agree more with you, Christina. Um, you know, and as far as the actual changes that let hey probably get into the store. Uh, They did add a free trial to the iOS version in the sense that you will get a randomly generated uh, set of uh, basically an email address where the, the, your address is randomly generated the first part of it, and then you can uh, commit after that. So I guess that's good. You know, we're still waiting to see if Apple um, accepts that. Um, It seems like a good compromise, but I have to say it's just, um, I mean, it didn't surprise me. They kind of uh, fixed it as quickly as they could given that dub dub was just about to happen but uh just a a really destructive week for apple's relationship with developers 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the responses that uh, the Basecamp team put together was a website called "You Download the App and It Doesn't Work." dot com. Actually, I don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Basecamp. I, I don't believe Basecamp did that. I think that was actually just another person, which was a response to the initial response from Apple before they said, "Well." here are some changes we're making. The initial response from Apple was when they tripled down and basically said, you don't make any money. We don't, you don't, we don't make any money off of you. Um, It was vaguely threatening. They also let the press know before they let the developer know. Yeah, it was just real bad. So this is why me from someone who disclosure works in developer relations, that's my actual job, uh, looked at this and went, holy, you're going to have to bleep this. Holy (laughs) <laughs> I cannot imagine a more tone deaf or terrible response. Would so you're on record you would not have sent that email, Chris. Absolutely not. Under under no circumstances would uh, I have sent that email. No. It was very condescending, I I have to say. Goodness. So. Um yes, so the <sighs> website put together by a third party, but I, I believe like influenced by the developers posting on Twitter about other apps. Oh, without that a doubt. Yeah. In the app yes, store. yes. The yes. the issue that Apple had was hey, people download your app and they can't log in. It doesn't it. work. That's upsetting. And so they put together a list of a bunch of other apps, including like Netflix and Stripe, um, where you download it and it's like, go to our website to sign up. So anyway, there are a lot of like very tongue in cheek responses to this. Um, So it's been it's been a wild ride. The other big thing that happened for Apple this week, which will take up most of this episode, is WWDC. So we have, as usual, with our big conferences, many things to talk through. But first, I just want to address, I I believe you guys watched it at at the time. I did not watch it as it was happening. But this was Apple's first, you know, all digital. Well, no one was watching it as it was happening. Well, okay, fair enough. It was recorded. But that is the point, is that we are in the pandemic right now and Microsoft has done digital conferences and other many other companies have had to do all digital conferences. This was Apple's first go around. How do you think it went? It's fine. Well, so yeah, I, so I was in the relay uh, discord, which by the way, if you're listening to this, you should definitely join. It's a great community uh, watching this. And people were really um, inspired by the the transition shots. Uh, it kind of had this uh, this drone camera footage of you know popping from building to building at Apple. I kind of found it to be a little gimmicky and and silly, to be honest. And I I felt very alone with that. So maybe I'm just wrong. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I want to be careful here because obviously I work for a company that also puts on virtual conferences, and it's not that I feel like I can't express my opinions, but I don't want to be colored by the things that we do and that I know that we work on, and I don't want to make it look like I'm I'm criticizing somebody or or anything like that. Um, But I I don't know. Like to me, there 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 are just different approaches that you can take to it. I think that it definitely felt like this was the way that Apple would do an event like this. And the production values were fantastic. And that I'm, I I was absolutely not surprised by the production values were fantastic. The one thing, and I think that you could even say this to some extent for some of the stuff that Microsoft did for Microsoft build for some of our content, which was mostly our key segments. Most of the rest of it was almost all of the rest of it was delivered live. Um, is that when you do a pre-recording, there is a difference between how you present something when there's an audience, even if it's being broadcast and most of your viewers are all over the world. There's a difference when you are presenting to an audience and when you're not. And it, I felt that a lot. Yeah. Like I, mm. you know, you, you because there just is like there's there's a different cadence. And when you're waiting for people to respond with applause or to laugh or to even give you energy. It's just, it's a different experience. And I'm not, I'm not saying that what Apple did was bad at all. It's just, I think this is something that most of the industry is going to have to kind of come to terms with, if that makes sense, because there is a very big difference. Like I noticed myself when I started doing live talks, I have a lot more experience, frankly, doing things like this, where we are recording together and we're live, but we don't have an audience in front of us. And when I do videos, even when I was doing broadcast TV, again, there's an audience out there, but they're not there physically in person. And when I started to do very large presentations to sometimes you know thousands of people, there's a difference in your cadence and in how you talk and in how you present yourself and where you need to leave room for what you're saying to kind of 
you know, be to, to go over. There, there's just a difference. And, and that I'm not sure anyone has really mastered, if that makes any sense, because mm. the, the way, because the thing is, like, if, if you're writing a keynote for someone and it's going to be in front of a live audience, you pause it and you have thoughts about how it's going to be presented and how it's going to be approached with the idea that people will be in the room. And that's a little bit different than if you're writing something that you know is going to be going directly to YouTube or broadcast or something else. And I don't know if we've met that max yet. And that's not a critique or a criticism at all to say that the the stuff wasn't presented fantastically because it was. Yeah. I think that it just feels uncanny valley-ish, at least to me, in the audience. It did feel very slick. I only watched the the Verge cut down of it, but I I was super impressed at how good it looked because I'm used to kind of the video game uh, conferences that have been happening being, yep. I'm sitting at my desk and there's a weird lava lamp in the background, which is right. super fun because it's like charming and stuff. And again, like you, Christina, I'm not surprised that Apple went this very slick produced route. Um, it was just interesting. If I could just, uh, before we move on to the actual meat of this, I just want to do two uh, notes about content. The first is it opened with Tim Cook giving a very direct, non-corporate, honest, straight-shooting talk about Black Lives Matter and Mm -hmm. the riots and stress that are happening in the United States right now, which I thought was Excellent. Yeah, there's so many ways you can do this and it comes off as, you know, just corporate wankery. And, and pandering, this, frankly. And pandering. Yeah. I'm I'm glad because there I found their first text statement that they did to be incredibly mealy mouthed. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, this I you know, maybe I mean Tim Cook uh grew up in the South, just like Christina and I did. And um I think when you grow up there, you know. <laughs> and when you grow up queer there, you really know. So uh I I thought that was really good. The other thing I just want to say is this is obviously not the focus of WWDC, but this was a conference that had close to 50% men and women talking at the keynote itself. Wow. At the State of the Union, mm-hmm. it was a disaster. It was worse than I've ever seen it. But as far as the keynote itself, it was as close to 50-50 parody as you could see. Um, I was very happy to see that. It didn't happen serendipitously. A lot of us have been critiquing Apple for years. <laughs> yeah, we've been taking yeah. heat about that. <laughs> But I was very happy to see them do that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's funny. It was five years ago that I interviewed Tim Cook right before they had the first woman at WWDC for the first time in however long it had been. And and that was one of the things that I explicitly brought up in my interview with him. And he said, you know, stay tuned for tomorrow. And I have to say, I'm very, very happy to see, again, the State of the Union didn't have that, um, but I was so happy to see that the public-facing thing is, look, most people don't watch the State of the Union. Even a lot of developers don't watch the State of the Union. They're going to watch the individual sessions that, you know, that the thing that gets the most eyeballs that, yeah, there was a lot of diversity there and in ways that didn't feel forced because you never want that. You never wanted to be like, oh, we had to check this box. It should come from an organic place. And frankly, you know, the way that you get more diversity, in my opinion is to just start hiring more diverse people because they will be the ones who can be the best advocates both for adding diversity and even more importantly to open that pipeline and let you know diverse candidates know this is an okay place to be yeah Yeah, ideally you're in a situation where you're picking someone from the team that is directly involved with the thing. And there are plenty diverse people on that team that can speak to that thing rather than being like, oh dear, <laughs> we right. need diversity on stage and we don't have any in the team. That's always right. uh, hard. That's, I mean, as a person who works from. on an all-white video team, Oh no! Yeah, I just uh, in that's a good segue, uh, Simone. Uh, Into my first ad read. No, 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 I gotta say this. Uh, Yeah, I just do want to note there were very few people of color that were, uh, you know, that were in this keynote. I counted Mm -hmm. two. Um, That's uh, something they need to work on. But I do think Apple has done better year after year. I just didn't want anyone listening to Rocket to not think we noticed that because we did. So, and on that note. Yes. No, you are absolutely right to notice that and call that out. And now I need to tell you guys that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Cotton Bureau. Cotton Bureau are the folk who make awesome graphic tees, hoodies, and more, including previously some Rocket t-shirts. Now, 
those aren't happening right now. However, guess what? They should. However, there are so many other t-shirts on the site. I went there to be like, well, shoot, what should I tell people about? And there are almost too many t-shirts to tell people about. But I do want to say that I, Marquez Brownlee has a lot of shirts, shirt designs on this website. And they all are like minimalist and sort of minimalist geometric designs and histograms and waveforms. And they look cool as heck. Uh, some of the other brands that uh, some of the other podcasting communities that Cotton Bureau has t-shirts for include other relay shows like Connected, Upgrade, Mac Power Users, and Cortex. Uh, and they also have ATP shirts, Incomparable shirts, Six Colors shirts, Stratechery shirts, Max Stories, if I didn't say that already, and more. Yeah. So that's a great place to buy and sell t-shirts of all kinds themed around sports, movies, gaming, food, everything, and tech podcasts, as I said. And I hope that you guys are fans of those. Their sweatshirts and tees are high quality and comfortable, and they have a great customer service. So go to cottonbureau.com right now to check them out and use the code ROCKET10 for 10% off. Go there now because that code is only valid until July 3rd. That's soonish. That's cottonbureau.com and the code ROCKET10. That's ROCKET and 1-0 for 10% off. Maybe when it's our 10th anniversary, they'll do it again and it'll still be ROCKET10. That would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll have 10 t-shirt designs. Thanks so much, Cotton Bureau, for your support of this show and all of Relay FM. So, Kim, just before we leap off this ad, I just want to say Cotton Bureau really does make some of the best t-shirts in the business. The quality is excellent. It's it's much better than than you know, it's better than the competition. I think we've all gone to a conference and you know, gotten that free swag, and you're like, yeah, this isn't <laughs> very good. This is good stuff. So if you're gonna have t-shirts made, Go with the best. That's what I say. They're they're very soft. I have so many shirts that I've acquired from them over the years. And I always love buying shirts from them when when I see them come out. I'm like, yeah, I know that it's going to be a quality shirt. It's not going to be one of those, you know, because sometimes they're like itchy. Like sometimes like the the fabric, like the cotton, the dump bump just isn't comfortable. And cotton bureaus are very nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's get back to talking about those Apple updates from WWDC. It is time. Crack your knuckles, folks. Let's start with iOS 14. No objections? <gasps> no. Uh, I mean, no. Let, let's let's get into it. That's what let's they opened with. do it. All right. iOS 14 coming later this year. Some delightful changes, in my opinion, including an app library that will be at the end of your home screens. Picture-in-picture viewing, parentheses, all caps, yes, I wrote in my notes, and some interesting conversations that are making Messenger al- messages who more similar to apps like Facebook Messenger or Slack, including pinned conversations, inline replies, and a sort of form of threading, as well as at mentions, essentially, so that you can only receive a notification for a conversation when you have been tagged in it. I found that very interesting. Yeah, I think overall, uh, you know, there was a, this was a very, very unusually strong WWDC. Uh, and I think the changes that are on deck for, um, for iOS 14 are particularly strong. All of us have had this problem where you boot up your phone, you've got just sheet after sheet after sheet of apps. You know, that bad restaurant you went to once and you wanted to get delivered to your house <laughs> three months ago, that's on your phone somewhere. Is it like, is it using data? Is it doing this? You don't know. And with this, it's like all arranging it automatically for you um, within uh, different libraries. And you get to, uh, the UI for it is really good. So you can say, okay, I want to have X number of pages of apps. For me, it's two. And then after that second page, if you scroll over, it's automatically put into various libraries for you. And of course, you can swipe down. You can just type in to find the name of the app. Um, So I think this is just one of these things that's uh, very painless and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, As far as picture in picture, this is a very good feature. I have the biggest iPhone. So, you know, I've often wanted to have YouTube videos 
was in the bottom corner while I'm doing other things. Now you can. As far as Memojis, I've never used these ever. I've only so, ever used them as a joke. So they're what? adding new poses. They're adding they're adding three new poses and they're adding face masks to Memojis. Yay. Um, Yay. As well, there's some there's another change coming as well. I'm forgetting it, aren't I? Yeah, there's something else. Yeah, I mean, they're basically just making them more like Bitmoji, which is what Memojis were like completely mm-hmm. copied from. Yeah. Um, and and I and look, I'm I'm not criticizing that uh, Bitmoji. <laughs> Bitmoji is good, but like Memoji is like a straight up copy. I think that's why I, I'm still so interested in the uh, iMessage changes because yeah. obviously, like text messaging came long before chat apps like Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp um, or Slack. Even I wouldn't call that a chat app, but it is often used for chatting. Um, I find it super interesting that they're looking at text messaging and saying, huh, maybe because people are mostly socializing in these other apps now, maybe text messaging doesn't have to be its own thing. Maybe we can be a little more complex uh, in the way that Slack is with threading and mentions. Yeah. I mean, I also think it's just, you know, what it comes down to, I think that, yeah, I think it's that, right? It's it's that people are used to and expect these other things from their other messaging platforms. And I, I think that, I think you nailed it. Like, I think that we as humans, like I know, speaking for myself, so total anecdote, I don't differentiate or I try not to differentiate between the the actual tools that I'm using. I'm just communicating with people. And so there are certain things that I kind of expect to be table stakes in any messaging platform I'm using, whether it's WhatsApp or iMessage or Slack or Teams or whatever else. Like there are just things that I want to be there. And mm-hmm. iMessage, other than the tools that I use at work, is probably my most used communication tool, honestly. Mm-hmm. Same. That's cool. All right. Any other updates for iOS we have to, I We could talk about each one of these for like the whole oh, the show. Translation it's app. just so much stuff. Translation app is really cool. Um, so basically you can have two things next to each other. Um, I believe, was it 11 languages that they... 11 uh, languages, that they, yep that they announced, um, you can have them side by side and it will automatically translate that through. Um, another thing is you've got, uh, what do they call it? Is it called app bits or something like that? Oh, app uh, clips. Yeah. Which is actually, yeah. Which is co- a cool idea. The idea is you don't have to download a full right. application to just do something. Android actually introduced this a couple years ago. Um, I like that idea. Like I like the concept of, of not having to download a brand new app just so I can pay for my parking, which is one of the examples they used or, you know, to board an airplane or whatever. Right. So you don't have to like, that's a great example. If you're going to be on JetBlue, uh, they have a whole app icon language. So you could be at Panera Bread, right? And they've got this, uh, this icon that can be read with your camera. And, uh, they said this at the state of the union that it can only be 10, uh, 10 megabytes uh, large, I believe. Um, so uh, it's got to be a very abbreviated version of the app, but you can go through and just do something very quick. You know, uh, rent a bike, do X, Y, Z without having an app on your phone uh, for a long time. And I particularly like that visual aspect. So the, the icon that you see that says you can get an app clip is actually also the, uh, it's the QR code. Like, because it's got this cool, these cool rings around it. And that tells you which uh, one and where you need to download it, which is cool. Super clever. All right. Who wants to talk about Apple Watch? You guys, I <laughs> bet. Talk, can we talk about Casey Newton's thing about this? Yes, I didn't see it. What did he say? I don't know if we could talk about this on the show, but he's like, um, he was asking us on Twitter. It got a lot of responses. He's like, uh, uh, so guys, just theoretically, if, uh, well, so one of the features is if you're washing your hands, oh, no. Apple will figure out that you're washing your hands. And if you try to quit early, it'll be like, uh, hey, Bree, uh, maybe you want to keep going? So your Apple Watch is now a cop. And <laughs> it's like, so he's like, um, hey, guys, uh, if your Apple Watch can figure out if you are washing your hands, um, is there other stuff that they could figure out that you were doing? And then you have a whole bunch of Apple developers that are experts in the gyroscope detection and, uh, in no. watchOS going, yes, absolutely. They could absolutely figure that out. So no. good to know. Oh, good to my know. 
God. Okay. Well, that's not the only kind of tracking that's coming to Apple Watch. Uh, They're also uh, sleep tracking as well as dance tracking. Dance tracking. That's right. I mean, I I guess that's cool because a lot of people do, especially now that people are doing more exercise from home. A lot of people dance. sleep. Yeah. Well, no. So the sleep tracking I'm, I'm down for, like, I'm really excited about it. But this brings up a question that I've had before and I've mentioned on this podcast, and it seems insane, except it doesn't, which is. So I would really love to be able to just use one of my old Apple watches because I buy a new one every year with the fitness credit I get from work. I would like to use one of those as my sleep watch. Mm. But as of right now, like, there's not a way for you to have two active watches, really. Right. So... That would be, but but to me, like, this seems like a missed opportunity. And, like, look, I get it. It's extra. It's ridiculous. That being said, lots and lots of people have Apple Watches that they've had for years that they might be upgrading. And this would be a really good way to just use that extra, you know, watch if you wanted to without having to deal with the fact that, okay, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to have to put it on the charger immediately so it charges and then remember to put it back on again. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is what I couldn't figure out, Christina, that as they're announcing this feature, the woman announced behind the Apple Watch uh, OS team, she's wearing three Apple Watches <laughs> in the presentation video. You know, going, she has three Apple Watches she gets to work. Why can't I have two? That doesn't seem fair to me. You are so right. That did not even occur to me. Uh, <laughs> how do you guys feel about the face swapping for Watch OS 7? Uh, um no okay i like it i'm actually a fan but the only thing that frustrates me is that they got so close to letting people design custom watch faces and didn't (sighs) let that happen like because to me that would be the big thing because there's so many talented uh designers in the apple community who would make amazing watch faces so i do like the fact that people who are really good at this can create a really good looking face and share it. Um, I'm sorry, Pebble, which is has been gone for a few years now, when that came out in what, like 2013, had that ability and it was awesome. Um, I So I'm glad that that's a thing, like that you can share your, your watch faces with people. I just wish that you could go further and actually design them rather than having to use the built-in templates and, and complications. Couldn't agree more. All right. Who wants to talk about Apple TV. <laughs> well, Apple TV still is here, and that I think is all we have to say. Yeah, we have. Fair enough. Years. Support for Xbox controllers, and it's also getting picture year. in picture. Okay, I am the biggest Shantae fan on earth. Okay, uh, so Shantae, it's uh, this series by Way Forward. It's in Metroidvania with this cool uh, genie character, and even though Matt Bozon gets all the credit for Shantae, it is his wife who came up with the character and leads the animation team, which makes it so freaking beautiful. So I, I love this series. It debuted on Apple TV. And I could not be bothered to go sync a controller to it. And I just waited months for it to come <laughs> to another system. Ain't nobody playing serious games no. on their Apple TV. Absolutely I'm sorry. How dare you refer to Grindstone as an unserious game? <laughs> okay. Right. No, right. no one's playing games. But I thought that the Xbox controller support came last year. Was I wrong on that? It's It's... I, I know there's been Bluetooth controller support. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. See, that this is the problem. Uh, we, we need a new device, first of all, because it's you know really old it, now. It's the Elite 2 and the adaptive controllers oh, that are supported Oh, got it. Now. Okay, so great. Which you is can good. Use your, it, it, it is good. <laughs> it's just there's a certain irony in that if you have an Elite 2, which is like $100 plus controller, that you would actually choose to use <laughs> that with your with your app, you see what I'm saying? Like, okay, I mean, fine. Okay, like, shut I'm up. glad We're it's there. On. We're moving on. Thank you. <laughs> oh, also, one, one, one quick thing, just because I want to drag it. You will be able to finally get 4K YouTube on the Apple TV 4K, except it won't be historical 4K. It'll only be like future 4K because Apple and uh, Google are still in a ridiculous fight over media codecs, which is so stupid because they're both part of a consortium that's supposed to be defining the future of media codecs, but both of them are being ridiculous. Anyway, mm, you'll finally get tired. 4K on some things with an asterisk. Oh, boy. Okay, do we want to talk AirPods? You were excited about this, Christina. What with the spatial the audio? Spatial, the spatial. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is rad. This is really rad. Um, or at least my experience 
with other spatial technology has been rad. I don't know if this will be or, or isn't, but um, yeah, I mean, basically they announced that they will be releasing a software update for AirPods that will be creating, or AirPods Pro, I don't know if they're distinguishing, um, where you will, they're going, going to be doing like 3D kind of spatial audio technology. So you can, it's like you can hear things in front or behind or the side of you. And uh, I don't know how well this is going to work. I imagine that it probably will work really well, but um, I've, had demos for years of various spatial te- spatial audio technologies, and it's really, really impressive. And people have been putting it into very expensive headsets for a long time. So using, um, you know, uh, I'm assuming they're, they're using, you know, AI to some extent and, and software to create that experience. I actually think to make it mainstream is pretty cool. It's limited to the AirPod Pros. So yeah, that makes this, sense. This, this, I mean, it made me go, okay, maybe I need to go shell out that money. So Maybe you do. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to um, say, it yeah. makes me super excited for just cute, but also useful things that they could potentially do with maps, for example. Yep. Um, just because I think we are so subtly attuned to the sound, the position of sounds that we hear and being able to like be navigating by maps and have the the have the voice say turn left in 500 meters but have that appear to come from a direction mm-hmm. that direction would be so useful um and interesting i think i think it'd just be fun fun and futuristic listen up folks we're going to get to the two biggest topics but first i'm going to tell you guys that this episode of rocket is brought to you by miro Miro is the online whiteboard that brings teams together. Their infinite canvas is perfect for several things, which I will tell you about right now. Brainstorming, making mock-ups, organizing files, managing complex projects, and likely many, many more. Because what can you think of to do with your work? So many things. They even have templates to help you get started quickly. And you can actually host meetings in the same frame as your collaborative whiteboard, which is super handy because it means you can discuss items as you go. Having worked on so many remote projects in the last few months, um, (laughs) including up to today when we had the conversation we're making yet another spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Like having tools like this is so useful for group collaboration because that can be so frustrating and like little miscommunications can pile up so easily. So being able to get everybody united and on the same page, delightful. Miro has over 5 million users and 80% of Fortune 500 companies use Miro. That's nuts. And Miro can integrate with the programs that you already use, like Google Drive, where the spreadsheets live, Dropbox, Jira, Slack, and more. You can start collaborating for free when you sign up for an account at Miro.com slash rocket. That is M-I-R-O dot com slash rocket to sign up for a free account with unlimited team members. What? Go there now. Check it out. Miro.com slash Rocket. Thanks so much, Miro, for your support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. All right. The big conversations of the day are, of course, macOS and, later, ARM-based Macs. So, your guys' response to this, this keynote was, they're killing the Mac. Can you talk about that a bit? That was Christina's response. Yeah, so. okay. <laughs> that, that, that's totally... I just and, and equate very, you guys. You both live yeah, in no, WhatsApp. <laughs> to be totally clear, the Mac isn't dying tomorrow. It will be a multi-year process. But yeah, I mean, Jason Snell said that in kind of his analysis as well. Um, I don't think there's any way to look at this as any like being like realistic without basically saying that the Mac, as we have historically known it, is going to go away and that the iPad is an iPad OS is going to morph into the Mac experience and that that's the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple uh, like bragged about that in, in their, uh, in the state of the union, which wasn't part of the, the keynote. And, you know, just in case the listeners don't know what we're talking about, when we say state of the union. So you've got the, the keynote, which is pretty much a, it's more of a marketing presentation for journalists and, and normal users. And then you've got the State of the Union that goes really into deep technical detail. 
and one of the things they were saying there that I actually had not thought of uh, during the keynote is like, look, the biggest advantage to us moving to all ARM or what they're calling Apple Silicon is a unified development stack that is scalable across multiple devices. So like that's actually what they're bragging about there, Christine. It's the same technology, the same, you know, same hardware. You can take bits and pieces of this this central technology and put it wherever you want. So I mean Apple themselves are telling you that the you know, Mac is about to become interchangeable in many ways mm-hmm. with uh, iOS. And the top level of this, what they talked about in the keynote is basically Big Sur, which is the next iteration of macOS, is coming way more in line with iOS and iPad, adding a lot of the things that we just talked about, like widgets, the messaging improvements, like grouping and pinned conversations, um, Memoji, and also things like um, the notification center and the control center as a dropdown from your from your top menu bar. I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I, I did take some heat. I mean... <sighs> I'm not trying to be critical of this because I'm on board with it and I understand it, even though it means this brand new iMac Pro I bought is basically a deprecated machine yeah. that's not long for this world. Um, but I I just I, I just want to take a second and give you a wider view outside of the Apple spin that they're going to give you. This is great for developers and teams that are all in on developing Apple software only for Apple using Apple tools. If Xcode is what you use all day, every day, I saw the State of the Union. This is not going to be a very big deal for you. Where this is going to be very painful is if you're a developer that works outside of that ecosystem. If you have third-party utilities that you depend on that are x86, this is going to be very painful. Um, it, you know, they they showed Maya at the keynote, and they're running it through Rosetta 2, which is a virtualization uh, environment to basically emulate x86. Um, it's going to take a performance hit. This is going to have consequences. And you know, the bottom line is if you're a developer working outside of that ecosystem, or even if you're a gamer that likes x86-based games, your Mac is going to run less software and it's going to run it more slowly for a while. Now, in the long term, hopefully all of this pain will be worth it. And I'm certainly not advocating Apple not making bold decisions. But I just think the bottom line is the walls of the the walled garden have gotten 10 feet higher. Mm -hmm. I I think that was my initial reaction as well was, A, this means maybe someday my (laughs) Adobe apps that I love will work really, really well on iOS. But then also, oh, no, what if (laughs) what if they stop working as as well on the machines that I actually use, a.k.a. my MacBook Pro? And maybe even someday if I go back into the the office, an iMac. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, well, that's that. That's the thing, right? It, you're exactly right, Bree. is that if you are somebody who lives and dies by Xcode and Xcode alone, this is not going to impact you and your development experience much at all. There will be some things you will have to do, um, even if you were solely an Xcode person, because, and I've watched most of the porting sessions so far, like one of the big things that's happening is when you're porting, like they're doing a very similar thing in the um, uh, process, like they they introduced something called Rosetta 2, which is very similar to what they did when they transitioned from PowerPC to Intel, which will allow your applications to run um, on both platforms. And, and for most applications, they're, uh, is, they're saying there's not going to have to be a lot of work that you're going to have to do, um, it, even to, to make them universal so that they are compiled to run. And both some of them will run unmodified and some of them you can just kind of recompile them um, so that they will run natively um, in in you know, in both versions. But if you have an application that uses a lot of open source libraries and that library is not compiled from source, which most developers don't do, and your source that you're using is compiled for x86-64, which is what most of them are going to be doing, that is not going to work. You're going to have to go back and compile that dependency. Um, Now, a lot of dependencies, I'm sure, will be updated over time, but there are going to be edge cases. So, 
yeah, for most developers, if you live and breathe in the Apple ecosystem with some kind of, you know, edge case trade-offs, this is not going to be a big deal. However, you're exactly right, Bree. If you're somebody who either is a creative and um, like relies on specific tools that may be ported natively and may not, we will have to wait to see. The experience is going to be different. And I also think that if you're somebody who, from a development standpoint, has to target multiple architectures, including Intel, because maybe you are building things for other operating systems or other device types, this is also going to introduce some problems that you didn't have before. And that's that's just the reality. Yeah. No, I think you're dead on. And, you know, at the State of the Union, Apple went through and they announced a few more partnerships that made me feel a little better on the 3D end. The first is they're working, they announced that they're working with Blender, which is an open source version of Maya that's very popular because it doesn't cost (laughs) $4,000, which is great. But that means they're not working with Autodesk, or at least in a way that they announced it, which is, that's very concerning. Um, They announced that they're working with Unity, yay, but they didn't announce that they're working with Unreal, Unreal. which is a mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. more professional tool. Um, you know, Christina, you saw, like, they brought out Rosetta 2, and they're like, oh, isn't this great? This is amazing. And they're showing Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider from Unreal Engine 3. Y'all, Unreal Engine 5 is not that far away. Like, this is a very yeah. deprecated game engine, right? Also, it looked real bad. Like, it looked I, terrible. Look- like, here's the thing. It's impressive if you were going to give it, like, all the credence of saying this is emulated. Yes, for emulation, this is fantastic. I'm not arguing it's not. that. It's not. Well, no, well, no, for emulation, I think it actually is impressive. What's not impressive, though, is that people don't want to run an emulated version of the game. That's right. the thing. Like, to me, you're, you, like, want an attaboy because this emulated thing runs terribly but is still able to run. Like... I, I don't care. Me as an end user doesn't care if it's emulated or not and isn't going to be impressed because, oh, the, the emulated game actually runs. They're going to be like, why does this game that on my old Mac looked great look and run like hot garbage on my new Mac? That's what right. people are going to be saying. Yeah, I think you're dead on. And, you know, another thing we haven't touched on here is boot camp. I cannot be the only professional, exactly, the only professional developer that has two sides of my Mac, right? I've got one side of it where I prefer to be with Slack and email and, and all that stuff. And then I've got the other side of it for when I need utilities or I need to run something uh, this 3D in a really efficient way or I want to use Lightbake and I don't want it to take all day. Um, I depend on boot camp because the truth is the Apple ecosystem does not have every single tool I need. Right. That's gone. Yeah. So I want to make a couple clarifications about this because I learn more about how this will work. So boot camp is dead. Um, it will actually exist on the x86 Max. So if you get, a, a, you know, if you buy an Intel Mac that is running Big Sur, or if you upgrade to Big Sur on your Intel Mac, Bootcamp is still going to be there, not going away. But on the ARM Macs, it is not going to be there. Having said that, and this is the one good thing, it's it doesn't make up for the deficits, and it won't actually, for most people, solve the problem. But it is worth noting, my impression and my assumption was that Apple would just lock the bootloader on the ARM Mac and make it so it could only run signed versions of Mac OS. That is actually, fortunately, not the case, meaning that if an operating system had the proper drivers, Apple is no longer going to write the drivers. But if they had the proper drivers and uh, targeted the Apple Silicon chipset type, which is based on on ARM v8, if they did that work, then you would be able to boot from an external drive using command line utilities. Um, You would be able to boot that OS from an external drive or from a different partition. That's going to be possible. So you can, for instance, they will let you run older versions of Mac OS that aren't signed. They will let you run alternative operating systems, again, assuming there's the support for that. This is where the caveat comes in. The main reason that most people run an alternative OS in something like Bootcamp is to access Windows and to use x86 applications. Now, Windows on ARM does exist and it is a thing. However, just as Apple is going to be going through this process of asking developers to convert all of their applications to run on um, ARM64, uh, the Windows is doing the same thing. 
windows it's going to take longer for lots of reasons, both because of the history of backward compatibility, the more like less of a structure around a developer community, the larger number of applications, and frankly, because Microsoft doesn't have the same sway with its developers to basically say, you have to do this in two years or else. So for lots of reasons, a lot of the applications that you use Windows for may not be available to run on ARM. And if they are available on ARM, even if you were able to get it in a dual boot scenario, so not virtualization, but meaning booting from Windows, assuming that that is something that would happen. And if that happens, that has to come from Microsoft. That's not something that Apple's going to control. There's a very good chance that the applications that you would want to use Bootcamp for will either not run, or if they do run, will run poorly and will not be an experience you would want. So... For all intents and purposes, even though you can boot another operating system, for the reasons that most people do, that's going to go away. And that's just the reality. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's worth saying, even in that scenario, you know, Windows gets compiled to ARM or, you know, you decide to run a Linux distro on it. That's still, you know, you're not going to have access to x86 tools. You're just having access to exactly. So Exactly. And... I mean, maybe it opens the door to to different things. It's I, the bottom line here is it's just about to be a lot more balkanized. Yes, it, it really is between Windows and and Apple and uh, you know they I I, and I Linux just too. just in Linux and and just for balance though I I just want to at least touch on Apple's case here because I get it. I'm not even mm-hmm. against this. You know, the the unified developer stack where you can develop one thing and it can just translate over to, you know, Apple TV or iPad or iPhone and or Mac, that that's a really big advantage. That's that's not to be undermined. The power savings that you will presumably get, that's that's not to be just skated past. And you know, I I think it's going to be okay in the long run. I just think we need to be realistic and say the Mac is just, it's its not going to be the same. It's going right. to be closer to iPad OS than ever. And maybe that's okay. And maybe people like me decide this is just not worth this headache anymore and we go do our 3D stuff in another operating system. I I don't know. It, but in the last thing I've got to say here is you said this, Christina, and I screamed because I agreed with that so much on Twitter, that it is wrong to go out and sell people these professional machines. Like, you know, that you mm-hmm. can buy a Mac Pro for $50,000. You know, for me and my iMac Pro... I'm sure I'll get three or four years of use out of this with Apple updating, uh, you know, Mac OS for the time being. But it really feels to have spent this much on a machine knowing it's going to not have a long-term future. Like that, right. it just, it, yeah. it's, it's asking a lot of the developer community the exact same week you're having all this stress with hey. Yeah, no, I exactly. And like, look, I agree with somebody. I was having a private conversation with someone uh, who actually works at Apple and and their argument was, look, like this isn't, um, there's never a good time to do a transition. And they're exactly right. There is never a good time to do a transition. However, I will push back and I will say, you have been hyping something for three years in the case of the Mac Pro. You finally release it. And six months later, you basically announce to all of your developers, all your pro users, Within two years, we will have turned over our whole line, and although we will support this for some unknown stated period of time, this is not the future. And so if it were me and I were making purchasing decisions for, you know, machines that cost minimum of $6,000, I would be very angry and I would say, okay, I'm not going to spend this much money on your devices because you've told me that in two years, you're going to have turned over... your product categories, and this is not um, in any way going to be a focus. And yeah, I mean, I I, I stand by that. I think that the way that you could 
mitigate people being this angry would be if Apple would come out and give a minimum period of time that they will still support Intel. And by support, I mean security updates. I potentially even mean full OS updates and other things. If they came out and said, we will be supporting this for minimum of this period of time, that would at least make people who are currently in the market for machines and need a Mac, make them feel a little more confident okay, I can buy this and for five years it's going to be supported. And after that, I might be on my own, but I'll at least get five years out of it. Because right now we just don't know. Because when you look at the PowerPC transition, yes, those machines were still able to run for a long time and some people kept them for many, many years after. But the reality is that transition, those first devices were released in 2006. And when um, uh, Mac OS um, uh, 10 Snow Leopard came out in 2009, so um, Leopard came out in 2007 and Snow Leopard came out in 2000. 2009. And when Snow Leopard came out, it dropped PowerPC support, meaning that if you bought a machine in 2006 Oof. that was a PowerPC machine, um, or, or 2005, let's put it that way, you bought it in 2005, you got, it came with Tiger, you got the upgrade to Leopard, and then you were done. And, you know, that, especially as developers like to only target, you know, the latest operating systems, can put you in an awkward situation where, okay, I can't get the latest version of, of this, and I can't get these updates, and maybe my, my web browser is going to stop working, and, and other stuff. I can't believe this took this took until just now to occur to me, but this does mean that my beloved 2015 MacBook Pro <laughs> has a a death date. Yeah, it does. And and no. look, and, and 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 there are people who are going to just as they have with the PowerPC Mac community and with the Motorola Mac community before that who will work at options to trying to kind of preserve software and to do other things for it. But it does mean that you're kind of, you know, at like a ticking time bomb. And like the the person who said to me, there's never a good time to do a transition, they're exactly right. What I, again, I would push back on is that, hey, you knew you were doing this. It's been you might have wanted to, for you, so long. <laughs> but also you might have wanted to rethink your strategy about how you presented these minimum $6,000 machines, in my opinion. If you didn't want to do that, if you just said we needed people were complaining, if we didn't do it, so we had to go forward and do it, fine. I I think that people would be much more reassured if a minimum support date was given. You could always mm-hmm. extend it if you wanted to do that, but if you if you held yourself to a minimum support date, because like that, I mean, Microsoft does that. Other companies do that where they say we will be supporting this until this period of time. Now that doesn't have to mean it gets all the latest and greatest, but even if I just got something as as like simple as saying okay, we will still backport security patches. Like, okay, well, then I'm going to feel more comfortable using this, right? Um, but th- that hasn't been the case, and maybe that will be the case in the future. But yeah, I mean, you know, this this changes things for a lot of people. I, I also, I agree with you, Bree, in the sense that, you know, people like you and I are, we're not the target of this. And ironically, at a developer's conference where they're talking about these things, developers really aren't the, the target of this because at least not a lot of developers. Um, the people who are who Apple, I believe, is looking at for this transition are people who live in their ecosystem and don't really think about what types of apps they use, mostly get them from the App Store, and aren't using things like Bootcamp, aren't using, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe, you know, open source uh, uh, tools or, 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 you know, other things, and are just going to have their Mac experience for a while be largely the same. What to me is more concerning from that perspective, like taking the developer stuff out of it about what we're losing and about the changes that are coming, is that from day one, iOS apps are now going to be installable on a Mac as soon as the the Mac ship. And in fact, developers will have to basically choose to not have their apps in the store if they don't want them to be on the Mac. And this is a problem because what this basically does in my opinion, is it completely de-incentivizes the reason why anybody who makes a cross-platform app, meaning someone who right now designs an iOS uh, app and a Mac app, it completely de-incentivizes them to do anything specifically for the Mac. Like, why would you bother when your iOS app is going to run? Like, to me, it basically just says, and and also, you know, we haven't even talked about the redesign of Big Sur, but Big Sur now looks just like a freaking iPad. Like, they should just add a, a damn touchscreen. I'm sorry, but like it, it's it's begging for it at this point. And so, you know, the experience of what we've all kind of historically considered Mac apps is going to go away. I, like, I don't feel like that's a controversial thing to say. People can totally disagree with me, and I hope I'm wrong, but I feel pretty strongly that 
within five years, that experience, the experience we have now of what people have called like Mac-assed Mac apps <laughs> will no longer exist because what most people will be running on their Macs will be iPad or iPhone apps. I guess. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all of that. Yes. Dead on. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I, I don't really have anything much more to add except that I, I, I think it definitely can't be stressed enough that while on the face of it, having Mac OS and iOS function functionally the same is on the surface a consumer-friendly move, it becomes not that when the developers who are making the apps that you are potentially like vital to to your use of those machines uh, when those developers are inconvenienced. So, can I can I end on a, a positive yeah, note with all do. of this? So, <laughs> the one good thing is we've talked on the show a lot about our desire to see things like a Final Cut Pro. Uh, moved over to the iPad. Uh, there's ain't no reason on earth why that can happen now. Uh, no, Apple themselves were bragging about uh, Final Cut running on uh, Apple Silicon. So no reason they can't make it work hey, now. Hey. So we're going to be getting a lot more professional apps over there, I think. Well, I certainly hope so. And I think that this becomes an interesting question, which is where, what is the difference between an iPad and a MacBook? We can't and I don't have think we more know yet. Questions. We're at 57 minutes. I know we're not. I'm just saying that that's something not, we're not going to decide here. But I think that over the coming months and, and maybe, you know, years, that's going to be kind of the essential, like esoteric, not esoteric, but like that's going to be like the big question kind of that you can't answer within the Apple community, which is what, what is the difference between these two things? Mm hmm. All right, let's move on to our final quick dessert topic of the day. I promise this will be fast. So last week, there was a really exciting Pokemon event where they announced some cool stuff like Pokemon Snap coming back and yeah. uh, Pokemon following you in the Isle of Armor DLC for Pokemon Sword Shield. And then they teased that this week there was going to be another Pokemon event. And everyone was like, what are they going to announce? Oh, my God, what are they going to announce? What more could there be? They are releasing a MOBA with Tencent. Uh, the Pokemon Company is releasing a MOBA with in partnership with Tencent for Switch and Mobile, which, suffice it to say, is not what anybody expected. No. Yeah. Um, no. Two different reactions, but both meaning the same thing. And that's the I, beauty of the English language. <laughs> so I, I've played, I'm not a real big, uh, a really huge Dota player, but I've played a lot of uh, Vainglory on iOS. And this game is, it will work on Switch, it will work on mobile. It's a, a cross-platform game. The kind that's going to be harder to develop, to develop on Apple tools soon, by the way. Um, so, so I... I, I'm not excited for this. I'm not. I love Vainglory because you've got these cool avatars that seem like they transcend time in history. And I just can't see myself getting excited to lead Squirtle into battle across a, a MOBA. It's just, it's not a genre I feel is a great mix for Pokemon. Am I crazy? I, I reserve the right to be pleasantly surprised by it. However, I'm at the moment I'm mostly amused by how out of left field this is. Um, so I mean, it, it's exactly what you would expect from a typical MOBA: five on five, tower based combat, but with Pokemon instead of sexy, sexy characters. Unless you find Pokemon to be sexy, sexy characters, in which case. This is just like any other MOBA for you. <laughs> Didn't we once rank Pokemon by sexiness? I, I absolutely did. probably did. Gus Lord won. Oh, God, we did do that, didn't we? Oh, <laughs> yeah, we so many episodes say. of Rocket. Um, <laughs> Every time I see Gus Lord, that's all I see. No. So. Um, but yeah, obviously Tencent is currently the biggest gaming company in the world. Uh, so it is... That part of it is probably not surprising to see the Pokemon company collaborating with them. Um, but yeah, surprising. Anyway, it's almost 10.30 p.m. on the East Coast for some of us. So let's move on to dessert. Christina, what are you up to? Sorry. Wow. Let's not move on to dessert. We just did that. <sighs> let's move on to what we're doing this week. And Christina, tell me what you're doing this week. Well, I'm cleaning my office because I have to write something for our next member newsletter for Relay FM. So uh, that's actually really good 
time. They, I'm hey. going to show off my office. I'm giving people a preview. So subscribe and become a really member if you want to see my setup. But to in order to get to that place, I do have to clean my office. Oh, so I'm doing disgusting. that. It is actually. Um, I'm also looking into Dyson fans that I can get because it is incredibly hot in here and um, I don't have the space for an air conditioner. I have four of them. I'll show you the link of the best one they make. Okay, appreciate that. I have that. strong feelings about this, the different I appreciate. I, I will make. definitely take yes. you up on that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, we're just, so the end of our fiscal year is happening right now. And so we're just doing, a, I'm just working on a bunch of stuff around that. So cleaning and, uh, and work stuff and shopping for a fan with Bree's advice. All right. Brianna, what about you? Well, you know, it's been a big week for me. Um, this has been the first week that I, 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 right now I'm trying to figure out what's next for me, right? Like I took some time off after the campaign and I'm, I'm starting to leap uh, face first into a few projects uh, as far as uh, porting Rev60 over to 64-bit, running into some issues with that on Apple. Uh, not surprised, <laughs> but uh, we'll see what we can get done there. Um I got my giant 3D printer finally working this week. I got a second monitor added to my iMac Pro, which is going to die soon. And I have a whole bunch of stuff I can't announce yet. So there it is. Interesting. Um, Oh, I had a really good thing that I was going to say, and I don't remember what it was. I (laughs) am hard at work on our Quibi show, which is coming back on the 29th of June. Yeah, I'm extremely excited, excited to have it out and about in the world again. Um, but boy, am I tired. <laughs> I'm going to sleep for about 10 years when when it's finally back on track. Super psyched for that to happen. Um, yeah, that's going to be it for us this week. Hey, Brianna, where can I find you online? You can find me at Brianna Wu on Twitter. Christina, what about you? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitter and the Instagram. And you can find my videos that I do for work, including one that went out last week at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Excellent. You can find my videos at youtube.com slash polygon and speed run on Quibi coming back June 29th. And I'm on Twitter at doom quasar. Ha ha. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you are having a good WWDC. WWDC. It couldn't be harder to say. If you enjoyed this show, please do leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it for good measure so they can enjoy it as well. Thank you to everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.